welcome to another Scots Who Hate podcast. And today I'm talking to writer Martin Patience to talk about his book, The Darker the Night. Hello, Martin. Hi there. So first of all, tell us about The Darker the Night. How do you describe it to people when they ask? It's a kind of a mixture of sort of a, a political thriller with a police procedural, but basically it's a thriller set in Scotland, which I hope has kind of international kind of significance. It's actually based on a political murder that took place in Guatemala and South America a long, a long time ago. Uh, so it's based on fact. So I hope people, people can't accuse me of being outlandish. But basically, it's a top civil servant winds up dead uh, a couple of weeks before a second Scottish uh, uh, Scottish uh, independence referendum, and then a video of him goes viral on Twitter, and he says, "If I'm dead, it's because I've been killed on the orders of the first minister," and it kind of unspools from there. So, yeah, that that would be my sort of elevator pitch, if you like. For a second there, I thought you were going to say it's based on a murder in Glasgow rather than Guadalupe. I don't remember that. Surely that would have been <laughs> spread across the papers. So wh why did you decide to write it? What was the reasoning? You know, it, the idea was rattling around in my head for years. And I I was actually, so I'd read a, a magazine article about this political murder in Guatemala. And I just thought that would be f fantastic to use that plot device. but to set it in Scotland, a kind of dramatic moment, critical juncture in the country's history, second referendum. But I think like a lot of writers, I didn't do anything about it. I was obviously working full time in some pretty intense places. And then when I was in Nigeria, I'd worked for a couple of months on a big long piece on migration, actually. Uh, Nigerians trying to reach Europe. And then Theresa May, of all people, uh, called uh, general election. And the report I'd been doing wasn't going to get the prominence uh, on the yeah. telly that I'd hoped for. And I was so frustrated. I mean, it wasn't just in that moment, but I was just so frustrated. I thought to myself, I need to have something for myself, something that I control. Now, that's perhaps naive, but that's what I was thinking at the time. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to write this book. So I started it, and the first three chapters came pretty quickly, actually. And then... I thought, how, how difficult can this be? I'll, I'll, I'll have this done in a few months. Two years later, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd finished the first draft. So I guess, look, it was always there. Um, I thought I'll give it a go. And I'm determined. And you have to be determined because you can get weighed down. You know, when you're 20, 30,000 words in, it's easy to give up. Mm -hmm. And then when you finish it, it's easy to give up. But when you finish it, that often means you're only a third of the way there or half mm -hmm. of the way there because you have to just rewrite huge sections. So I don't know, why did I do it? I guess because I, I felt I needed to do that, actually. Yeah. I think especially when something is kind of relying on plot a lot, then it really has to be tight, doesn't it, the kind of the way it works? Like, yeah, there can't be any mistakes or things that don't make sense. Well, yeah, the plot, do you know what I found? Hard, I found easiest in some ways the plot and pacing is what I got the quickest. The hardest thing I found was actually developing the characters. And it, I had a great agent, I've actually got the same agent as Ian Rankin, and he, he was great with me in the sense that he said, I want to push you to see how good you can actually be. Mm 
Uh-huh. And he said, look, he said, your plotting and pacing is great. But he said, your characters are not there. And he said, what you have to remember, Martin, is fundamentally people only remember the characters. You might read a book and think, you know, that, that was really clever. But it's the characters, how they react, whether or not they're genuine enough, whether or not you can relate to them. That's what stays with you. And ultimately, it's that's what gives a book legs. So a lot of the redrafting was, was, was on that. And I wrote most of the book, actually, when I was in Beirut. And I realized I, realized I understood the characters because I used to write in this disheveled uh, coffee shop with sort of uh, posters of, of Iranian leaders on the wall. And I... <laughs> I, I love this place because there was a magnificent view of the, the Mediterranean. But I realised that if all my characters walked into this coffee shop, I knew how they would react, what they would order, whether or not they'd walk back out again, whether or not they'd feel comfortable. So that was really a big moment, actually, because you have to really under your, understand your characters to that level, even if you don't share it with the reader. But you need to know it. That's so interesting. I hadn't really thought that. I read a lot of crime fiction. And you're right. The thing that gets you turning the page at the time is wanting to know how things resolve. But actually, when you, you step back, you think, I want to know what happened next to that person or to the protagonist or whoever it might be. And there's so many great examples of that. Um, I think it would be a good idea to let people know a bit about your background because, you know, you've mentioned Guadeloupe and Nigeria and Beirut and people will be thinking his uh, flyer miles will be piling up. Tell us a little bit about what you've done in the past. Sadly, 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 in the, all, the, all in the economy. Uh, yeah, no, look, I was, uh, so I was born, grew up in Glasgow, South Side, kind of middle class, Glasgow Uni. Then I decided to, wanted to be a foreign correspondent, like most Glaswegians, obviously didn't speak any languages other than English. Thought, how hard can this be? I'll learn Arabic, as you do, turned up turned up in Syria, as you do. So I learned Arabic. Um, and then I went to freelance. I'd worked at the Scottish newspaper, so I went to freelance in Jerusalem. Um, so And then I joined the BBC when I was in Jerusalem. So basically, I was a BBC correspondent for 16 years. I had three years in Jerusalem, two years in Afghanistan covering the conflict there, five years in China, two years in Nigeria absolutely bonkers country absolutely loved it and then probably my favorite my favorite place uh, very special was to go back to Beirut because I met my wife in Damascus which is a couple hour drive my son was learning Arabic which was wonderful um, but that um, sadly that country collapsed and then we moved to the US, so we had to make a decision because of the refiller. So where do we, I wanted to, I'd have loved to come to Scotland, but the reality is my wife's American, Bangladeshi American, her parents are here and, you know, the opportunities in America compared to, you know, Washington DC, New York, compared to Glasgow, there is a difference and many jobs are going, but my heart is still very much in Glasgow. And I think that, shines through in the book you know it's 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 glass region to its core in that sense it's i think outside of robin jenkins it's the only time i've got read a book where canvas lang is mentioned which is where i was brought up uh, and you know you kind of punch it there's lots of examples of that it's not someone who's just going with a passing knowledge of glasgow near the very end you go for up you 
the character goes from yeah, yeah. the granary, which is, you know, about yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not from, from where I'm sitting yeah, yeah. now. So it, yeah, it really yeah. is a lovely thing for it, loads of people will love the book, but for a Glaswegian reading it, you know, there's something extra special there, I think. But you, you need that. You realise, you know, you realise what, you, you have to write about what you know and it shines through and all the great writers that we love, like, you know, I was just reading Elmore Leonard, you know, set in Florida. Yeah. And, and his love of Florida and the madness of Florida shines through or I'm just reading a Dennis Lehane or Le, I don't know how you say his surname, you know, but it's in Boston. And you, and, and cities are characters, especially, mm. I mean, you realise Glasgow, Glasgow is such a fabulous city. And it's got such, you know, it's, and there's a fabulous humour. Mm-hmm. There's a fabulous humour about the city that you can never, I'll never forget, I was back in Glasgow and there was a guy and he was on his phone and he was sort of talking very loudly in Buchanan Street about an important business deal that he was on and he was talking very, and a guy just walked up to him and went, on yourself, big man. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, just to puncture him and... That's what I love about the city, the humour. The humour, the people, you know, it's it's a wonderful place and I, I take a lot of pride coming from it. I, uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful city. And, you know, as you say, it is a character in its own right and it certainly is a character in uh, your book. Being away as you are now from the city, do you look back on, even in Scotland in general, in a different way? Does it make you reflect? Yeah, yeah I do. I mean, you realise, you know, you realise how strange, I guess, how, not strange, but how different things are. When you grow up in things, you don't realise mm. how, you know, for example, I remember growing up in the 1980s. I, you know, I'm kind of middle class, but I knew, you know, we've got family down in Gurick and Greenock, and you used to drive through Port Glasgow, all the shipbuilding yards all shuttered up. And you realise, I think, later on, you realise there's a lot of poverty, a huge amount of deprivation. Um, it can be very difficult for cities to recover from that. You do realise also, you know, I didn't realise, obviously, the, the, the you know, Protestant Catholic, you know, the schools. I didn't realise that was, was a thing because um, you just grow up on it. You see the differences there. But it's interesting because you go to Lebanon where there's all these kind of mm-hmm. sectarian divisions and you're like, oh, oh, this is very, very familiar. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was also like funny being in Nigeria and China. I remember people, people, you know, they were majority black or, or, or to hand Chinese countries. And you realise that Scotland is quite a, uh, you know, is a very white society. I, you know, and that's interesting because when I come to America, it's really interesting how you view things. I think growing up in Scotland, I used to view things very much through a socioeconomic lens because that's just what you saw in the city. Whereas you come to America and so much of it's seen through a kind of racial prism, which wasn't really a factor in Scottish politics. So, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does change. I think, I think the biggest thing, though, and one of the reasons I wrote this book was because things do change. Mm-hmm. I think in Scotland, everybody thinks everything's incredibly stable. I mean, I've lived in so many countries that have collapsed, Lebanon, Syria, Afghanistan. I'm not saying that's going to happen in Scotland, but things do change. Yeah. Uh, and we must always be open to that. And I don't think 
yeah, don't, people don't think things are going to change in a dramatic fashion. Whereas I, I think probably just because of the nature of my job and my experiences, I'm perhaps always in the pit of my stomach. I'm perhaps thinking that the worst might happen. That's not, that's sadly not, a, you know, it's not, a, you know, but that's just my experiences. Yeah. That's my experience. And is that why you wanted to write a political thriller? Because I was thinking there's not many works of fiction that have brought in Scottish politics. It's quite a rare thing to do. Yeah, I thought, because it's it, it's a book set in Scotland, but I, hopefully, you know, the kind of themes of it are kind of universal. And I, yeah, I think it was, a, I, think, I think it was for that reason. It was that we are more fragile than we realise, that something dramatic could happen that could sort of swing us one way or another. And we, we and this has happened and it has happened in South America and it has happened in other countries. And I didn't want to get too bogged down in Scottish politics, you know, because I wanted to have a broader appeal and even Scottish people, I don't think they want to ask God. But I, but I just thought it, I just thought it was a really, a really dramatic high stakes backdrop. Mm. Um, because whether or not a country becomes independent or not, you don't get, you know, in a, in a nation's life, you don't get, you don't get any bigger than that. Yeah, absolutely. And so to have it around uh, the referendum, it was just almost a a dramatic device in a, in a sense. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Because I did think I said it in London, but I've never lived in London, so mm -hmm. I don't really know it. And I was kind of like. Or does I say that against the general election? It's kind of like, <laughs> really gets about I mean, I mean, you know, our general election's high stake, of course, the high stake, but it's not, you know, it's not going to change. You know, you, you can change it four or five years down the line. I thought, no, the only way to make this sort of credible and believable would be a kind of second Scottish referendum. Yeah. And You've got at least one character, and you've mentioned you've got the Scottish First Minister, who could be seen as being similar to the, still at the moment as we speak, the Scottish First Minister. Did you have any qualms about that, about writing a character that maybe some people would go, I know who that is? Do you know, I, do you know, I did, and I thought, I'm going to make it this a man so nobody can, but then I thought, do you know what, why should I make this a man? This is the reality, and if you look at Scottish politics, yeah. I mean, I remember one time looking at it, it was like there was Nicola Sturgeon, head of SNP, there was, you know, a Labour leader was a female, Tory yeah. leader. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, I just thought, yeah, this is the reality. The, the, obviously, Scotland's a small, in some ways, a small country. I knew people would inevitably uh, draw comparisons. I'll give you a chuckle. I did I did say that she was from Ayrshire, but one, one of the few edits the publisher made they said man can we move her to the uh, to the east coast so she's from fife so just to clear that up uh, <laughs> they're from different sides of the country you know i did uh read your book and finished it just a few days before nicola sturgeon decided to announce that she was stepping down and for a moment i wondered what does martin know what does he <laughs> Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. And we should make I that very, very clear. <laughs> I, I, I have met her a couple of times. It was interesting. One time I met her about 20 years ago when I was a young reporter at the, the, the Herald, the Glasgow Herald. I, I was working in the diary 
And she's a, she is a remark. Whatever your politics, she is a remarkable politician. Mm-hmm. She has a remarkable human touch. And I remember she was incredibly kind to me, uh, you know, as a as a young man. And not all politicians are. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, and then I met her subsequently. She came to China. That I did a quick inter- when she was first minister, and she did a quick interview with me there. And she said, "Where are you off to next?" And I said, uh, "I said I'm off to Nigeria." She said, "Oh, what did you do wrong?" I said, "First minister. That's not very diplomatic." Um, so the 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 only two times I met her, she has been sent a book. Right. So actually, hopefully, I would love because she's obviously a huge reader. I would love, I would love if she read her actually. Yeah. Yeah. To see I mean, what she thought. I, I saw just recently hosting an event at Paisley Book Festival, and there's no her love of books. There's no doubting that, no doubting that at all. So let's talk about the other characters because you've got some cracking characters in here, and it's interesting to hear that you really had to work at them. But well, the work's paid off as far as I'm concerned. Are you now? You say you would recognise them if they walked into certain circumstances. Are you happy with them now? The way that they finished up. Yeah, I'm really happy uh, because I could feel them. I could feel the kind of energy and the kind of, you get to that stage where you just, I I used to think, oh, that's a load of rubbish, you know, you know, writers would say, oh, the character, and you, they just, you, you come up with a scene and they walk into the scene and they just take a life of their own. I thought that was absolute rubbish, but but it's in some ways it is true. You kind of know how they'll react, uh, what they'll say. So yeah, I am very happy. I mean, it was funny. I've I've asked for criticism from friends because I think criticism is always fabulous, uh, you know, good and bad. You know, one of my friends said to me, it was interesting. They're like, I'd like more from the characters, you know, more of a backstory. And I found that difficult. It's like how, yes, you have to have them reacting naturally within a scene. So you need to know who they are and all their details. You know, for example, the policeman, Davey. You know, I knew Davey, you know, he was a bit of a ladies' man. But it's how much, how much writing's about, it's about, so much of it's, it's not what you put in, it's what you don't put in, it's what you leave out. So I left out quite a lot because I guess I wanted just to keep it going. And it's a balance. Yeah, it is it's a balance. balance. And I think, you know, readers as well, in my experience, you don't want to be bled by the nose. You've got to come up and, and, and you know put your own take on things too. Um, with, with that in mind, I've, I've, I've spoken to many writers who said once they finished a book, they actually really miss the characters. That's how closely they've kind of got involved with, with them. Is that something that you think about? Yeah, I'd like to meet them for a you know, pint or a, or a coffee. Yeah, I do. It sounds weird. Kind of sounds weird, you know. I can see Davy maybe at the moment down its caravan in Ayrshire. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Just sitting, he's got a few days off. Uh, you know, Fulton, Fulton's maybe you know facing more job cuts. He's like, I've had, I've had enough of this. But what's he gonna do? I mean, what's, what's he gonna do? PR? What's he gonna do PR for the? Maybe Davy will get my job. He could do media for the. Scottish police, but that's not full. You know, oh. what's his daughter? What's his what? What's his daughter? Is she, she's she'll maybe now be at university. Mm-hmm. Fulton didn't go to university, so yeah, I do think there is a real growth, and 
That's a lovely, yeah, it's a lovely thing. I, I they haven't lived with me too much because mm-hmm. I've, I'll be honest with you, I've started another book and I'm on the second draft of book two, and it's a whole different set of characters. Right. So I'm living with those characters at the moment, and um, because I didn't know whether or not book two do a do I continue with these characters or do I do something different? Um, Before we'll I ask you about that, it just, straight, it just strikes me that what you're talking about, it's like when some actors say, well, I've got this character and I know his full backstory. You'll never know it because you don't need to know it, but I need to know it to kind of give the character truth. And it seems to me that's what you're talking about when you're writing these people. Well, there's two things. One, I did, you know, it's funny you mentioned that acting. I, I did do acting for, I was terrible. I was the back end of the horse. I stepped in the, I sp- <laughs> stepped in the apple during Snow White's and Seven Dwarfs. I, I slipped on it. But we used to, you know, it's funny when you start writing books, we used to write sort of a, a page of what this character was. And I, and I reached out to a few people just to ask them how to do it. And they always say, have a page of what music they would listen to, what political party they would vote for, where they would go on holiday. And, and, and my, my agent, who was just, he was absolutely fantastic. He said, you might not, the reader doesn't need to know, but you do. Because if you don't know, then the clarity of that character will not appear on the page. And that is so true. You can't fudge it because if you fudge it, it's not going to ring true. I was going to ask you if this was a standalone uh, work or whether it was part of a series. Have you dis- maybe haven't even decided whether you're going to write more? Um... I, haven't, I haven't. You know, it's I, I. I first thought of it as a standalone, um, and I did plot out a sort of two second one. Um, which I might yet well write. But I think just for all my international experience, you know, there's a few of us in the chat, and it was like, maybe let's try and pull on some of that experience just to kind of widen it out. Because you realise in Scotland, there's a lot of detectives. There's quite a lot. There's a, And in Britain, there's quite a lot of sort of journalists. Uh, and, and, and writing's tough. If you, I mean, look, and then... I'm, a, I'm still a journalist uh, working for National Public Radio, kind of America's sort of equivalent to Radio 4. But, you know, I would love to write full time. Um, but the economics of it are incredibly mm. tough. So, yeah. um, you know, they said to me, why don't you try and do something a little bit different? And this isn't overthinking it, because I think you have to write what you're passionate about. Sure. But, it, yeah, but I have, I've kind of got another idea for, Another standalone, but leave open the door like I've done with the first book. Leave open the door that you could perhaps then um, write more. And I was going to ask you if your work as a journalist fed into writing the novel, but it sounds as though it did. It did. I tell you, I tell you what. I tell you what was hard though. I, I, I did a lot of telly. So telly, the rule of telly is you don't describe what you can see because you mm-hmm. obviously can see it. So that was difficult. I found writing scenes, um, that could be tricky. Uh, so I really had to work in that. Uh, and especially with radio, also, sometimes you describe the scenes, but I used to always, I think journalism, particularly TV and radio journalism, is you kind of comment on the scene, um, which obviously great writing does as well, but you have to 
show the scene and then comment on the scene. I think one thing that perhaps did come to me easier than perhaps most writers was dialogue because I'm so used to doing radio and knowing what works and what doesn't work and rhythms of people's speeches and just reading it aloud. You always have to read things out loud and if it sounds clunky, it is clunky. So there was that. I think, um, yeah, I... And you write tight as a journalist, which, again, can is great, but sometimes, you know... Yeah, see, it can be tricky. You know, in some ways, it's a, it's great that you write mm-hmm. tight because I think all books need to be tight. But then equally, sometimes it's good just to sort of, you know, write a couple of pages and what one aspect of the story. And I don't think that always lends itself to journalism. Whereas I'm used to, I started off writing two hundred words, four hundred words, six hundred words, eight hundred words. That's how I kind of break mm-hmm. it down. So when I hear writers say, "Oh, I write." 3,000 words a day, I'm like, not me, pal. Not me, pal. But as you say, they've then got to go back and, and work again and work again at yeah. those 3,000 words. And I think writing tight is a, a lovely description, I think, for what the best crime fiction does is it's usually pretty lean and, you know, you get through it. And it's one of the reasons why we turn the pages and often sit through books. And it's readable. It's readable. Yeah. It's readable. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, whether sometimes in literary fiction, as much as I love it, you know, yeah, the ten pages or something. I mean, I yeah, I love literary fiction as well, but sometimes it's bloody awful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or it just doesn't make sense, or it's turgid, or it can be very self-indulgent. Uh, whereas, yeah, I think um, yeah, it's just different. Things yeah. are different, and uh, yeah very different ways of writing, I think. And you mentioned that Scottish crime fiction, there's a lot of it at the moment. It really is booming just now, perhaps more than at any other time. Do you have any favourite writers that in that uh, genre that you, you enjoy? You know what? I don't read... This is going to sound extraordinary. I don't read a lot of Scottish fiction. I'll tell you why. Because often when I, I read the books of the country I'm in to try and learn about the country, because I think it's a great way, you know, you read the newspapers, you watch the films, but I think fiction often gives you that that kind of depth and substance and colour of a country. So, you know, I, I mean, I love, I love American writers, like yeah. Elmore Leonard, I love, oh, there's, a, there's a great guy, uh, Don, I'm just looking at my books with, Don Winslow, who's a great yeah. kind of crime thriller writer I love all that stuff I mean obviously I tell you I tell you one of the best books I've ever read obviously Rankin's cracking he can turn a page but one of the best books I have ever read I put it like jaw-dropping books was The Long Drop by I think Denise Miner Mina yeah yeah stunning book stunning book stunning book it was a book that just floored me yeah. in the, I think, the kind of psychological insight, um, a time, a place in Glasgow. I thought it was an unbelievable uh, piece of writing. Uh, it was one of those books, I mean, definitely a top 10 books of all time that I've ever read. And it was one of those books that you just put down and you just think, oh, <laughs> just part of you is like, oh, that was magnificent. 
And part of you is like, oh, I should never write a book as good as that, you know? She is a tremendous uh, writer. From the first time I read Garnet Hill, you were just, again, depicting Glasgow as it is, you know, a real truth. Yeah. That city as a character as well. Yeah, and she wrote another book. I forget which one it was. And it was just another, it was just another great set in Scotland, then it was set in France. And it was just, and it, but perhaps subconsciously, I've maybe uh, taken a little bit of inspiration from that, where you can sort of anchor books in Scotland, which is yeah. home and what you know, but then you can take it elsewhere. And I think, I think readers, I think readers love that. I think, I think there's a kind of appeal and people, people, we all, we just want authenticity. That's what people want. Yeah. We want authenticity from our friends. We want authenticity from films and from from books as well. I tell you another. You talk about Scottish writers. It's slightly off topic, but I think um, I've just watched the gold. Oh, I think it's yeah. Neil Neil um, Wonderful. I mean, to me, I, I thought guilt. You know the way. Yeah. You know the two series of guilt. I thought that was wonderful. So I love, I, I think Scotland's in a really, a really strong place at the moment. And you realise there's so much creativity. And what I love about what all these people have done is they've rooted it in Scotland. And you can, well, I don't know. I mean, we can, I mean, Robert Louis Stevenson. I mean, you know, we forget what it, some of the great storytellers of all time came out of Scotland, and people love Scotland. It has a resonance. Um, so, no, I think there's a huge appetite for it, and it's it's just great to see so many writers. But I do read about where I am. So, I as think- soon as I move back to Scotland, I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, knee deep in it. That's a really interesting thing you say, because I agree if you're going to spend time, you know, significant time in a place, not just maybe a two week holiday, but if you're going to be there for a time, reading the fiction is a great thing, a great way into the kind of psyche of the. Of, of yeah. The yeah. Yeah. It, re- it really, it really, I mean, I'm just reading a book at the moment. It's about, you know, the kind of busing of uh, kids in Boston, actually, uh, African American kids into white areas, and there was huge protests. And this was in the nineteen seventies. This wasn't that long ago, and yeah. it's just another, yet another insight into sort of the racial divisions within America. What I find really interesting about this book is, though, it's kind of you know the the kind of liberals, the 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 ones kind of in some ways the white liberals pushing agendas are kind of middle class. So they're not being impacted by the decisions that have been taken. So I just thought that was interesting. And it sort of explains the anger, uh, particularly amongst white sort of working class, a lot of white working class Americans about their anger that the that they just the, the system perhaps is, the system isn't working for them. And you see that, it's interesting, you see the parallels in Scotland. People talk about the rise of nationalism. I think clearly one of the reasons for the rise of nationalism in Scotland is that the system, and I saw this growing up as a, as a young boy in the 80s and 90s, the system hasn't worked for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And if, 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 if a system doesn't give you opportunities or hope, then you're willing to try something else. And I think that's one of the reasons. 
one of many, but one of the main drivers of nationalism in Scotland. I think that's right. Um, I did want to ask you, since you're no longer the foreign correspondent, but the way that the world has been over the last few years, are you disappointed that you're not covering events or are you actually quite glad? I, look, I did almost 20 years and the, and I did it full time. I wasn't dipping in, I was living it. Yeah. And the reality is, as I said this to people, unless you're a psychopath, it, it takes a toll, you know, and, um, you know, I was very lucky, I was very fortunate, but, you know, there was, there was a lot of hard incidents along the way. Um, uh, I think Beirut was crushing, if I'm honest. I think it was, you know, I went to a country, it was a country I, lived, I loved. Uh, it was a country that I covered the war there in 2006, actually. Um, my first big conflict as a young guy. I think in the pit of my stomach, I was always worried that something would go wrong in Beirut. Um, the country suffered probably one of the worst economic collapses in economic history. People literally lost everything overnight. You know, teachers that were getting paid $3,000 or £2,500 were suddenly earning a tenth of that. Savings, pensions going. Then obviously Beirut blew up. Um, we weren't there for that. Uh, we were back in Scotland. All our windows came in. And I always say to people, if the, if the city you live in blows up, literally blows up, and you don't start rethinking your life, then I don't know, I don't know how many more signs you need. So I think at that point, I, I realized that the one year anniversary was coming up for the Beirut explosion. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. It was the first story I just thought, I cannot do this. I cannot cover this sadness. I cannot find a family that has experienced the worst day of their life, do a report on that, because that's what you have to do. And, and I knew, first of all, I couldn't do that. And second of all, I didn't think that would change anything as well. So I think at that point, I realised that and first of all, I needed to come off the road. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, perhaps do something a bit more gentle. And at the moment, I'm working on a weekend show. And it's, it's very gentle. It's very nice. We're still covering some of these big issues, you know, Ukraine. But I'm covering them at a distance. And second of all, there's a lot of culture. There's a lot of art, you know, books and films. And, and you realise... That's what makes life. Yeah, I was going to say That's all the what, good stuff. Yeah, you forget, you know, you think culture is, it's what makes us human. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, of course, of course, of course you have to cover the big events, but people are getting on with, people are not, people are getting on with their lives, they're enjoying their lives. And, and then, yeah, so I'm really enjoying it, really enjoying it. And is that kind of new perspective part of the reason that you wanted to write as well, or why you want to continue writing as you're on your second book? Yeah, I think I need to have something for me. And I think, you know, the drive that made me a foreign correspondent covering all these big events, well, you know, I dropped my wee fellow off at school today. I don't have, the phone is never going to ring and say, get on a plane and go to X Martin 
Um, you know, if I'd still been at the BBC, I'd be covering Ukraine at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that's gone, and I'm, you know, I'm very happy with the decision. But I still need something, and I still need something that's mine, and mm-hmm. I still need something that, you know, yeah, that you know that has impact, that perhaps might have impact, or perhaps might change my life. You know, yeah. If you want to become a full-time writer, you've got to write books. You've got to, you want to win the lottery, you've got to buy a ticket. Or if you want to be a full-time writer, you've got to write the books. But it's a struggle. It's hard work. It's yeah. hard work. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. They don't tell you how much. I think it was the great American writer, Richard Ford, who said, only write if you need to, mm-hmm. because it's far too painful otherwise. Well, I, for one, I'm glad you went through that pain because I absolutely loved the dark of the night and I hope I'm sure other people will as well. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you. It was, it was brilliant. Thank you very much. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Mm-hmm.